Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Let us hear the words of our Savior. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples. They should tell no one that he was the Christ. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, There are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength of the Holy Spirit who lives and resides in each of us. We pray that you would be with us now, Lord, as we consider your word We pray that you would bring help to our ears and to our minds and to our hearts. We pray that you would bring encouragement to our souls. Help us this morning, Lord, as we are further sanctified by the word and spirit. Help us to press into heavenliness, to press into godliness as your word goes forth. We ask that you are glorified for Christ's sake and for the good of your people. Amen. Please be seated. Again, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we continue our short series on Christ building his church. As we learned last week, this passage here in Matthew is really a turning point of Matthew's gospel when the Lord Jesus reveals himself to the disciples in his identity as the Son of Man, and as the Christ who has come to be the Savior. The Lord begins here to teach them, his disciples, and disciples throughout all ages, what this will mean for them and what this will mean in the future. At this point, the gospel narrative turns from Jesus giving instructions to his disciples about the kingdom of God, to the significance of the way in which his death and resurrection will usher in that kingdom. Again, verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Here our Lord is teaching us 
that he is not only the builder of the church, and that is the church here at RBC and every faithful church, but he who has committed himself to being the church's builder has also committed himself to being the church's defender. Christ is not just the builder of the church. Christ is also the defender of the church. And he says the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, your Bible may say, will not be able to prevail against the building program of Christ. Christ will build his church. And it is immediately obvious from the very language that Jesus uses that he is suggesting to us that as he builds his church, there will always be fierce opposition to the building of his church. That Christ, as he builds his church, he builds it within the context of fierce aggression and opposition. The verb that is used here in Matthew 16, prevail, if you're taking notes, prevail. It is the same verb that is used later in Luke's gospel. When at the time of Jesus' trial, there were two separate sets of voices in response to Pilate's question, what will I do with this man? What shall I do? Set him free? And there were some who were shouting in the crowd. Maybe Simon Peter was among those who were shouting, let him go, let him free. And while there were those in the crowd who were shouting, let him free, there were at the same time those who were in the crowd who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It was at that point that Luke used the exact same verb that Matthew uses here in Matthew chapter 16 when he says, the shouts of those who, cru- who cried out, crucified him, prevailed. It's the same word used in Matthew, prevailed. They overwhelmed. They silenced the shouts of those who cried out, let him go. In a sense, it was a action parable or a parable in action of how it always is as Christ builds his church there will always be two voices that are raised. There will be those voices that cry out, build your church, Lord Jesus, build your church. At the same time, there will be those who are crying out, tear her down, tear her down. There will be those, as we will be doing tonight, who will be crying out in prayer, God, build your church. And there will be those who will be crying out, not in prayer, but in disgust and in anger, tear her down. The Lord Jesus says to these 12 ragtag men called from different areas and different places in the world that he intends to build his church. And he also intends to defend his church in such a way that the gates of Hades and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail overwhelm, overcome, overtake her, the church. These words have an immediate fulfillment in the book of Acts when the apostles are gathered there in that upper room and when the Holy Spirit comes upon them with tongues of fire, the apostle Peter goes out to that crowd and begins to preach on the day of Pentecost and it was there that Christ began His building program through Peter's message of the gospel, that He is the Christ, that He is the one who was crucified so that we might be saved. And you will notice that when Peter preaches the final Amen, that there were those who were in the crowd whose hearts were absolutely cut to the core, and they repented of their sins, they placed their faith in Christ. But as you know, It was not long after those thousands came and were baptized and who joined the church. It was not long thereafter that Peter and John were placed in prison for preaching the gospel. 
So while there were those who were saying, what must I do to be saved? There were also those who were saying, close their mouths and put them in jail. All throughout the book of Acts, we find Christ building his church. And as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ advances, the building program of Christ is opposed. As the disciples and every Christian thereafter, generation after generation, comes face to face with those who are determined to silence the message of the gospel. As Christ comes to build his church, he always builds in the context of aggression. Or we might say, the Lord Jesus Christ built his church on enemy-occupied territory. Imagine that. Building in your enemy's yard. Christ is doing such. He is building his church And he is building her on enemy territory. And do I need to say to you that what Christ said to his disciples that day is just as true then as it is today. We need only look to our workplaces. We need only look in our education. We need only look in our governments to realize that what Christ said to his disciples way back then He says to us, his disciples here today. It is utterly impossible to be a disciple of Christ without discovering that Christ is building his church in enemy occupied territory. Some of us may be even fearful to name the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in any public context because we know That simply the mention of the name of Jesus Christ in love and in trust rather than in blasphemy will bring down upon us a rubble of persecution. How much do we need this tremendous promise from our Lord Jesus Christ? That even though the gates of hell should engage in aggression, Against the building program of Christ, they, it will never, ever prevail. It will fail every single time. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand the glorious purposes of Christ. So no person who said to one of our members in this church, this virus will be the death of the church. Jesus says no, and never. There will be nothing that comes against the church that will be able to prevail against her. She will stand. She will advance. She will press on. And she is you. She is us. We will never be prevailed. We will never be brought down. As long as there is still Christ on the throne. The church will advance. The church will press on. Praise be to God. We need to then ask ourselves this tremendous question then. Is this opposition worth it to me? Is Christ worth it to me? Knowing that I will experience opposition as being a part of the church, is it worth it to me? Are those who are sitting among me, are they worth it to me? You will remember what was said of Moses. He chose to suffer with Christ and to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and the pleasures of Egypt. I say to you that anywhere outside of the church is Egypt. I say to you that anywhere outside of the church is Babylon. I say to you that anywhere outside of the church is the world that we are not to be friends with. Anywhere outside of the church is the world that we are not to love. And all of the outsiding opposition will attempt to press in on the church, but we are saying we are pressing in on the world. 
Don't see yourself, brother or sister, when you are defending the faith as being on the defense. No, you are on the offense. You are on the the uh, advance of the gospel. Don't sit there and say, I didn't know how to answer all of the questions. Ask them questions. Ask them how they will be saved. You need not stand back and say, I didn't know what to say. Say to them what Peter said, repent and be baptized. Place your faith in Christ alone and be saved. You are on the offense, not always on the defense. Why did Moses suffer with Christ? Because he knew. He knew that there was a building taking place, a building program taking place. And he was willing to give up his life to be a part of that program. Is it worth it to you today, tomorrow? Is this church the one that which you belong to? Is it worth the suffering to face perhaps the aggression of the powers that be against the very things that we want to exalt in this city? This morning, I would like to consider with you three points. Concerning this idea of Christ, this promise of Christ defending his church. Number one, the conflict that we face is spiritual. The conflict that we face is spiritual. Again, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against her. The language that Christ uses, I will build my church. Christ is speaking about the the powers of darkness that will attempt to oppose her and the intimidation of death, the possibility of martyrdom, that you could die for your faith in ways in which the powers of darkness seek to imitate or intimidate the people of God. They're doing it now, aren't they? We need to recognize that the ultimate aggressor against the church is none other than the prince of the power of the air. The one who rules the gates of hell, behind the gates, the devil, Satan himself. We don't talk about him very much, do we? He is most definitely at work. He is at work in opposing the building program of Christ. Why is it, brother and sister, that when you are sharing the gospel with your loved one, with your neighbor, with your friends, why is it that they are not able to receive the message of the gospel that you are planting in their hearts? It is because as soon as the gospel goes forth, the devil comes and snatches that seed away. The Bible doesn't say that just the wind blew it away. The Bible doesn't say that, that that just they have a hard heart. The Bible says, Christ says, the devil comes and takes that seed away. He is at work against the gospel of Christ. He is at work against those who would come to faith in Christ. The devil is at work. And Christ here is speaking about an opposition that is deeply rooted in history. We are given this promise of what life will be like for the people of God from the very beginning of the scriptures. You know it. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. We know the promise. From the seed of Eve, a mighty deliverer would come. And yet that promise assures us that there will be conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent until finally the head of the serpent is crushed. But until then, there will be conflict. There will be trouble. The opposition that the church faces, the opposition that we as believers experience on our jobs, in the marketplace and beyond, it's not material, brothers and sisters. Let me say to you, it's not racial, brothers and sisters. It's not political. It is spiritual. The opposition that we are facing is a spiritual one. The gates of hell know that they cannot destroy the Lord Jesus Christ 
And so the gates of hell will seek to destroy what is most precious in the eyes of Christ, namely his bride. The church for which he bled and died. It is of vital importance that for us to understand in our Christian living and in our churches that we are engaged in what is ultimately a spiritual battle. And this battle can only be won with spiritual weapons. With spiritual weapons. There is no way that we can engage in warfare using the instruments of the world. They don't work in spiritual warfare. I'm reminded of a scene in The Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is getting ready. I'm going to show how nerdy I am. When Gandalf is getting ready to fight the the demon of the underworld, Balrog. And the Fellowship of the Ring pulls out their swords. And Gandalf says to them, swords are of no use here. This is a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters. The warfare that we are fighting now is a spiritual one. And we can only use the weapons that God has given us to fight with in this battle. And what are they? What are the weapons that God has given us to fight in this battle? Well, Paul tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Please turn there and turn to this passage maybe daily as you go out into the workplace, as you go out into your jobs, into your schools, into the world. Remind yourselves of these wonderful weapons that have been provided for us as we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, listen to the verse words, and finally, as a way of concluding his letter to the Ephesians, the church that was known for their love and for their service, he says to them, and finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong, not in yourselves. Be strong in the Lord. Where your help comes from is not from yourself. Where your strength comes from is not from yourself. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, a third time. Stand, and then stand, and then stand. Having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with all boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We've been given a command from our Lord and Savior Go forward. Go and make disciples. I will build my church, but go. You will be used in this program. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the triune name of God. Well, Lord, what if I am opposed? Dear one, I have not left you defenseless. I have given to you an armor that you are to use as you are going and making the gospel known. We are to be girded with truth. Girded with truth. Uh, This girding is the imagery of a soldier who is wearing a long tunic and who lifts up that tunic and ties it around his waist so that he would not trip 
as he is in uh, offense in this battle, as he is pressing forward, as he is advancing, there is nothing to trip him up. Brothers and sisters, you must know the truth. You must know truth and not think for one second that truth, theology, rich, deep, orthodox theology, and your relationship with God are somehow disconnected. That I just want a relationship with God. How will you have a right relationship with God if you don't know Him? And do not think for a second that Rich, deep theology is disconnected from spiritual warfare. How will you fight if you don't know who God is and who you are? How will you fight? What weapons will you be fighting with? Because if it's not the word of God, those weapons don't work here. It is one of your defenses, truth. Against the kingdom of darkness. It is one of the weapons that Paul encourages us to stand with. But what is more, we are to stand with the breastplate of righteousness. Standing in truth that your righteousness is not based upon your perfect righteousness. But the righteousness of another. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your righteousness is not based upon your performance before God. But Christ's performance before God. So stand, therefore, with your heart encouraged. Stand, therefore, when you are tempted to look inward and believe that you are somehow not a Christian because of your sins. Not a Christian because of your failures. Don't look inward. Look outward. Look to the only place where you can be saved. Christ alone. And what should this produce in us? My dear friends, it will produce a man or woman who has Feet that are sturdy with peace. Your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. They are strong with the gospel of peace. The enemy is attempting to war against you. To tell you you are not worthy. And every time one of those lies comes, you can stand in peace knowing that your Christ has stood in your place. He has gone before us. Paul says this is the gospel of peace. Right now the world is looking for peace, aren't they? I will say to you, it's not going to come by a policeman kneeling in front of every civilian. They can't bring us peace. May I say to you that in this fallen world, there will never be peace. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. As long as man lives in this fallen state, we will experience more unjust deaths. I remember Rodney King. I remember the riots. Some of you are old enough to remember the Watts riots. Some of you are old enough to remember not Rodney King, but Martin Luther King. This will not be the last of unjust deaths. There will be more violence. There will be more calamity. There will be more brutality, more abuse. And it is because man is at war against God. When an image bearer of God destroys another image bearer of God, it is not first that white man or that black man or that brown man or that yellow man that they are trying to kill. It is the man that they are made in the image of God. Man is trying to destroy God. And the only way that a man will be able to look at another man and say, no, you deserve my respect. You deserve my love. You deserve my charity. You deserve my friendship and my forgiveness is when that man looks at that other man and says, because you are in Christ. 
Therefore, you deserve every bit of love that I have toward you. Christ is the only way that we can have peace. And it's because of the gospel of peace. We've been given a shield, haven't we? That as the enemy shoots every single one of those, not just darts. He's not throwing darts in a pub at you. Flaming arrows. Flaming arrows. You get the imagery of that, a flaming arrow. Go watch some of the old war scenes. And see the brutality as they shoot flaming arrows seeking to destroy everything in its path. And God has said, I have given to you a shield that as soon as that arrow hits that shield, it is extinguished like a match in water. Every single day they are being thrown. And every single day... Not here. Not here. And they come from all sides, don't they? Employers, family, government, so on. The enemy is the one behind those arrows. The devil is the one behind those arrows. Any opposition that you have as you are pursuing a holy life in Christ, that's the devil. He is seeking to destroy you. He is seeking to kill you. He is roaming around like a lion. Who can I devour today? This is why we must be earnestly praying for one another. Because whether you know it or not, those who are sitting around you could show you, if they could, all of the arrows that are extinguished in their, in their shield. Look at how many I got shot at me this week. Thank God for the shield. Put on the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind. How do you guard your mind? With the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It goes beyond what you feel. Here's what I know. Oh, unless we leave out prayer, it almost seems sometimes as the garnish, doesn't it? I'll eat the meat and the prayer is just the garnish that I'll leave on the side. No, Paul pleads with the church, pray. Use the weapon of prayer, all prayer, prevailing prayer, and prayer for him in particular. That in this program of building, that his mouth might be used boldly to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine Paul saying, pray that God help me be bold. You, Paul, you need prayer for boldness. Well, Paul, if you need prayer for boldness, I need prayer and fasting for boldness. What a prayer that is for us to pray, isn't it? Pray that I would be bold. You know that God answers those prayers. Lord Jesus, as you build your church, give me boldness that I may speak of your love and of your grace and of your mercy. We're in the midst of conflict, but we have not been left defenseless. Use these weapons in this warfare. What will become of this battle? Number two, opposition is doomed to fail. We are in opposition and it is a spiritual one. Number two, and that opposition is doomed to fail. Matthew 16, 18 again, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It is often said in matters like these, that there are two mistakes that we often fall into. The one is to ignore the reality of the opposition, to pretend like it's not even there. My dear friends, what other explanation can there be for all of the demonic activity that's been taking place? What other explanation? We cannot simply conclude it's just bad men being bad men oh they are bad men yes who are filled with the father of all bad men the devil you are either of 
Christ or you are of the devil. There's no in between. You either hang on the belt of Christ or you hang on the belt of Adam. There is no in between. We must not be blind to the reality of spiritual opposition that is taking place. And on the other hand, we must not be overly obsessed with it. As if the power of the, of the aggressor is so much so that we are in a losing battle and we will just never win. Do you see those two uh, bad extremes? One is to pretend like it's not there. The other one is to pretend like it's here and there's no way out. We're doomed. No, we are not doomed. In our last point, we said that in this fallen world, there will never be peace. This does not negate the fact that in the midst of this unrest, Christ has promised to build His church. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? No, there will never be peace when men try to just be good to one another because men is inherently wicked. They need to be changed. They need to be renewed. They need a new nature. They need to be born again. Here's the promise. That as Satan attempts to stop the building program of Christ, he will fall every single time. Do not be, little ones, don't be afraid of the devil. Older ones, don't be afraid of the devil. Because if you are in Christ, then perfect love cast out fear. And he is doomed to fail. It's almost like watching your superhero movies. You know Lex Luthor's not going to win. It's enjoyable, it's interesting. But at the end, you know, Superman can't die, Anthony. It just won't happen. Batman may. The Lord has promised that the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against the advance of the church. The gates, the kingdom of darkness, Satan and all of his forces, they will oppose the church. But they'll never overcome her. Stumble every single time. The Lord said that there are seven, several reasons why he has come into the world. And one of them was so that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2 tells us that he took our nature in order that he might experience all that we experience. So that he would deliver us from the one who holds us captive. Because of fear and death. And now he's risen. Now that the Father has exalted Him as King of all, He calls us to stand in faith because the enemy has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Christ. Therefore, we can go into this enemy-occupied territory. We can go out into our workplace. We can go out into the world. And we can stake the claim of Christ to every inch of this earth. We can raise high the name of the Lord Jesus Christ without fear. And that, my dear friends, is the only explanation for what happened after the resurrection of Christ. These cowering men, men who were hiding in rooms behind locked doors, all of a sudden see the resurrection of Christ. They are filled with a spirit radically transformed. Because they saw Christ as victorious. They recognized that whatever the continuing opposition, whatever it may be, that nothing, because Christ has risen, will be able to stop what Christ is planning to do. You remember Gamaliel. You've heard that name before, haven't you? Gamaliel was one of the primary teachers of all Pharisees in the book of Acts. He was... Paul's professor. And they come to Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5 and they say to him, what are we to do with all of these people who are following Jesus, saying that He is risen? What are we to do with Him? Gamaliel says, leave them alone. If this is not of God, it will fizzle away and die. 
And you can almost imagine this professor turning back around and saying, but it is, but if it is of God, you won't be able to stop it. (laughs) Do you believe that? That you are on the side of Christ, the side that cannot be stopped? Do you believe that Christ has prevailed against all powers of darkness? That he's expanding his kingdom even into enemy territory. And that nothing will stop it. No riot, no governor, no virus, nothing, no devil will be able to stop it. We only need to look through the annals of history in order to see the evidence that Christ will build His church and Satan and all of His forces will never be able to stand against it. When the Jewish leaders of the first century uh, sought to squash the gospel, Christ protected His church and she advanced. When Roman emperors rose, those like Nero and others, who sought to burn her as lamps in His courtyard, she did not relent. She advanced. When the church was thrown into, when she was thrown, thrown to wild beast under the persecution of lion for refusing to renounce her faith, the church did not disappear. She advanced. And during the reign of Trajan, when Christians were punished if they did not worship false gods, the church did not bow her knee. She went to death into prison proclaiming Christ. She advanced. Under the reign of the Diocletian, and Galerius, the church suffered its greatest persecution in all of history. In isolation. The church was not allowed to gather. All pastors were imprisoned. And if one did not offer a sacrifice to the gods, they were immediately put to death. It was the law. And it would have seemed to some that this, this would be the death of the church. This now will be the time when they disappear. But she advanced. She pressed on. And you can travel all throughout history, whether it be during the Roman and Persian wars, or during Islamic rule, or during the Reformation, or today as we are fighting war against government. The LGBTQRXWYZ community. The church will not relent. She will stand and advance. Why? Because Christ has been raised. And Christ will keep his promise. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not stop his building and sustaining of his church. Think of this. The church is marching on in China. The church is marching on. Do you know that in China... A religion like Christianity, which used to be banned. The government is now having to relent in certain ways because you can't stop everyone from worshiping Christ. And as the multitudes grow, the government is trying to figure out ways that we can still restrict it. But not put everybody in jail because we would not have enough jails to fit all the Christians who are turning to Christ. The gospel of Christ is advancing in Japan, in India, in Africa, in Russia. And in the midst of all of the opposition, it still grows. The powers of darkness cannot withstand against the aggression of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that word? Aggression. This is no, this is no passive religion. We're willing to die just so that someone might hear the gospel. You tell me that's passive? You tell me that's weak? We are a people who have been so gripped by the Spirit of Christ that we are willing to cross waters, smuggle ourselves and this book into a country just so that someone might be saved. All we need is a match to be sparked. The fire will grow. The Spirit of God will be the one to make it grow. No, this is no passive, weak, spineless religion. 
This is a religion full of the power and might of the Lord Jesus Christ, to which we are not ashamed. It is the power of God unto salvation. The devil will not, cannot, and has been promised that he will never defeat Christ and his church. Third and finally, the opposition will be ongoing. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Christ does not say, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will go away. Christ will build, and the devil will keep trying. We live in the fact that Christ is risen, but also in the fact that Christ has not finally returned. He's not finally triumphed in glory, and he has not finally shown the world all of his glory and wonder and splendor and majesty. Not yet. We live in between the time that Christ has said, I will build my church, and the time that Christ has said, and I will return for her. Meanwhile, while we are anxiously awaiting his return, Satan is angry. Why? Because his time is short. He will ultimately be destroyed in the lake of fire. We'll talk about this in a few months. His time is short. We will be experiencing suffering and pressure because Satan knows time is short. Opposition will continue. And the Lord assures us that opposition is never haphazard. Meaning, the gates of Hades refers to this council of darkness. He will be strategic in the way that he attacks us. His strategy takes place at the gates. There's a passage in Proverbs 31 where the there's a woman who has uh, this reputation. And she is blessed because the reputation is of her husband who makes decisions at the city gates. The point is that Satan is meeting with all of his forces at the gates, speaking about a strategic way in which they might prevail against the church. And what will we do as he is seeking to take you, your wife, your children, your church down? I pray that you stand, that you stand firm, that you pray for one another, that you are looking to one another and saying, brother, sister, how might I encourage you today? Think about this throughout the week. How, who could I call this week and just encourage them in the faith? Maybe you're not calling everyone. There's not a lot of people to call in this church. Maybe pick one of the members. I will call this brother this week, this sister this week, and just see how you're doing. Because I know Satan is strategically planning, plotting to take you down. And some of us, some of us are going through certain trials that if we knew we might say, brother, sister, why didn't you say something? If I knew you were going through that, I would have prayed for you more earnestly. What does Christ see as he looks upon us with his lipless eye? He knows that we are his people, that we are weak. He knows that the enemy is attempting to destroy us. So what has he done? He's placed us in a church. He's placed us in a church. Thank God that when you were saved, he did not say, okay, brother Scott, I hope all be well with you as you go on your journey. Okay, brother Tony, I hope all is well with you as you go on your journey. But no, he takes a Tony. He takes a Ralph. He takes an Ophelia. He takes a Doreen. He takes a Rose. And he brings you together with a body. And says, you will be able to stand Against the wiles of the devil as you are standing together, not standing alone, 
This Christian walk has never been intended for you to walk alone. We always think I have my own personal. You do have a personal. But it's not private. Your personal relationship with Christ must be public. You must go public. What is baptism for? Going public. What is membership about? Going public. This is not just about you. It's about us together. When one suffers, we all suffer. We are a body. When there is a thorn in the flesh, the entire body feels it. It's not just, I just feel it right there. You, you, you know you feel it right there because it's been told to you up here. This hurts. Attend to it. The entire body must attend to one another. We must remember that when there is suffering that is taking place in the body, Satan is at work with the intention of amputating you from the body. He wants you to get gangrene. He wants you to be so useless that you will be removed from the body. This is why the past 12, now 13 weeks has been so hard for many. Because they've been saying to themselves, what part do I play in this body? How am I connected? You are first and foremost connected by Christ. But dear ones, we must look out for one another to let them know. And I recognize you as being a thumb, a pinky toe or whatever that I need in order to function properly in this race. I need you. I need you. Are you a part of this body that's barely hanging on? Could you tell somebody? When that pinky toe hurts, it doesn't just stay silent. It alarms, it throbs, it tells the rest of your body, I'm hurting. Do something about me. Can I say to you, the best medicine that you are getting is being given to you right now. It is the word of God. It is the means of grace. If you're saying, I just need a friend, stop. You need the word first. I just need someone to call me. Stop. You need the word first. I wish I had a small group. Stop. You've got a corporate group. Meet me on Sunday. I wish we did more outreach. Stop. Start with the word of God. Don't let some of the things that you see is, I wish we did this. I wish we did that. Be the reasons why you say, I think I'm gone. Are the means of grace being provided for you Lord's day after Lord's day? Is the word of God faithfully preached? Is the Lord's suffer properly administered? Is baptism offered to any of those who place their faith in Christ? Yes. Is prayer taking place? We'll be praying tonight. Those are the means by which you grow. And we need each other as we do these things together. Pray for one another. Care for one another. Stand with one another. Encourage each other. We must get past the, the thinking that we cannot tell someone that we're feeling afflicted. That we're hurt. And we must not become exasperated, frustrated, annoyed with the one who is weak. Stand with them. Turn your back towards theirs and say, I've got your back here. I'll fight from this side. But we're together. Keep in mind that whenever you are assaulted by a wave of darkness, Jesus is still building his church. Jesus finally says that in order for him to build this church, he must suffer and die and be a ransom for our salvation, but then triumph in glory in the resurrection. And then Peter, of all people, the one who has just said, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. The one who Christ has said, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. When Peter hears how the church will be built, 
He physically takes, imagine the thought, he physically takes Jesus aside, takes hold of him and says, never. He says those two words that are contradictory, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And the one to whom Jesus said, you are blessed, is the one whom Jesus also says, you are the devil. And the words that you speak are from him. Get behind me. There's the aggression. There's the opposition. I will build. And Satan, knowing of what Christ is speaking of, acts in in, uh, absolute terror and fear and says, this is not going to happen. He screams what Peter only says. Never. Jesus says, I will build. And immediately Satan says, no, you won't. And immediately Jesus says, yes, I will. And you won't be able to stop me. I wonder what Peter was concerned about. Well, he was upset upset about the fact that the only way of salvation, it lies in a crucified Savior. He did not understand that without a crucified Christ, there is no eternal life. And the Lord Jesus takes that a step further and says, without a crucified life, Peter, you also can't be saved. Not only will I be crucified, but you also If anyone comes after me, you also must take up your cross and follow him. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Be my guest. But if you want to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. In closing, brothers and sisters, when trouble comes, no matter what the trouble is, there is one thing in view to draw you away from Christ. To draw us away from the Christian life. To keep us from bearing our cross and ultimately for us to fall away. I pray that you long to stay near to Christ. That you stand firm in every circumstance of life. That you hold dearly and embrace the cross that Christ has placed on your shoulders. And he promises that as we do, he will build his church and nothing will be able to stop it. I'd like to read these words to you, two songs actually in closing. One song from Steve Green, which is called Embrace the Cross. Listen to the words. Embrace the cross where Jesus suffered, though it will cost all you claim as yours. That sacrifice will seem small beside the treasure eternity can't measure what Jesus holds in store. Wondrous cross, our desires rest in you. Lord Jesus, make me bolder to face with courage the shame and disgrace you bore upon your shoulder. Embrace that life that comes from dying. Come trace the steps the Savior walked for you. An empty tomb concludes Golgotha's sorrow. Endure then till tomorrow your cross of suffering, embrace the cross, embrace the cross, the cross of Jesus. Hold to this promise that Christ gives us for relief that he will triumph. And I thought it was appropriate to finish with this song. A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Let's ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord of hosts, his name from age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. 
And though this world of devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God had willed his triumph, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Our little, one little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I encourage you, go listen to Steve Green sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You may get born again all over again. To God be the glory. Let us stand and pray.